The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Did you hear that? Beep, boop, beep. They shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. This is madness. Beep, beep, boop. Beep, boop, boop, boop. We're doomed. There'll be no escape for the Dark Times podcast this time. Welcome back to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite human cyborgs relation. And I'm Steven, your favorite lone rider on the dusty trail. Yeah, that is how I would describe you. The lone rider. Really? Yeah, tr- okay. truly you could do this all on your own. <laughs> If only you knew it. Truly, I haven't. I haven't dedicated hours of my life and dedication and if only skill. You knew how fucking right you are. <laughs> skill honing into this podcast. If only you fucking knew it. We got Stephen. We got so much huh. feedback, and I love it. So we better. It's get a started. big app. It's a. It's a stacked app. You said this app's hauling ass. I think you misused that turn of phrase. I said we got to haul ass. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, oh, did I just read it wrong? You must have. You said we're hauling ass. Oh, yeah, no, I get it now. Okay. I was like, I was like, Sam doesn't know what they're talking about. We had an email from Trevor C of Order 66 podcast fame. Wait, that Trevor C? Yeah, we, he's written in before. Yeah, but like, but now we've heard from him twice. This <laughs> <Yeah>. is awesome. <laughs> this is great. Dear Dark Times podcast. How formal. I was gaming with Alex Vondi this past weekend and was telling him how your last two or three shows have featured his adventure module, The Auction. As one of the playtesters of this module, I can assure you that you've done the module justice with how you presented it. It was quite fun to play all those years ago and then again now to reminisce as you went about walking through it. Uh, meandering is how I would describe it. <laughs> it was definitely a good meander, that's for sure. On another note, I'm terribly curious what your take is on the Destiny Point system of Saga Edition. Our group doesn't employ it as it becomes too much of a potential adventure breaker. Do you use them? Have you found them to be an issue? If not, why not? If so, have you made specific house rules to manage them? Thanks for the great podcast regarding a game that doesn't get enough current love. Sincerely, Trevor C., co-host of Fragments from the Rim. Oh, man, Sam, I told you about Fragments of the Rim. Oh, right? yeah. It was it was a guest segment on Order 66 yeah. where they would just feature... A thing that that format was a huge inspiration for this show. So don't tell them that they're going to start asking for royalties. Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's great that we that we hear from the the greats of of Saga's golden age. As far as your question, Trevor, my take on Destiny Point system, I I, I think we we cover pretty well in an episode, perhaps a slightly earlier one. Pretty early episode, I believe it's yeah. It's it all about destiny. Back. Yeah, all but, about, that's right. That was one of my more favorite ones of ours, I think. Because you were so uh, held back on covering it, you were, it was the it was your white whale for a while. That's right. That's right. It was one I put a lot of preparation and, and thought behind because the destiny system is always bouncing around in my noggin. So now let's do the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll probably contradict myself on a few points that I make in the show. Speaking on it now because it's, it's just been so long, and you know. I've, Everyone's a river, right? Or something like that. I don't use it. Um, <laughs> not, <laughs> no, wait, 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 no. wait. Trevor uh-huh. specifies the destiny point system and not the destiny system. Does he specify? Oh. Does he specifically mean destiny points as a concept? I mean, those are those are one and the same. If you want to get really, yes, but 
in our first uh, campaign, you didn't use the destiny system per se, but you but did, did give out points. destiny points. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I, so I'd argue they're separate. Tell you what. Tell you what. I'll tell you two things. How about that? <laughs> destiny points are pretty darn cool. In Pathfinder 2nd Edition, and half, half you all tune out right there, you can reward players who are being particularly clever or in character or whatever you want. I did it for you. If you come dressed up as a cowboy to my cowboy-themed one-shot, I will give you a... God, what are they called, Sam? Hero point, my friend. Hero point. And you can have up to three at any time, raw, and players can spend them to re-roll a roll. If you take that system... And give a destiny point when you think a character is, or rather a player is being particularly cool or tuned in or deep in role play. They're pretty good if you sparingly. Keep in mind a destiny point is a lot more powerful than a simple re-roll. It's an automatic crit in their pocket for starters. I gotta jump in here, Stephen. They do have something similar in 5th edition called the inspiration optional rule. Right, right. That's that's kind of in the same wheelhouse. Yeah. So you can use destiny points like that. That's not discussed or supported anywhere in the in the Swissy rule books. But I, I found that it worked really, really well. As far if you mean Trevor the destiny system, which I, I think you do, I don't use it not for any particular balance problem I have with it. It's just it takes an extremely creative and flexible game master to really shine and i feel like if not applied carefully and even thematically in a campaign built around the very concept of destiny i don't even really trust myself to do it justice that's kind of my take on the destiny system in swissy also it's just fucking easier to run backgrounds man (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely one of those things where at least from a player perspective it's uh, like a long, long, drawn-out, laid track that the GM has to put you on eventually. Yeah. And for a new GM, and for an amateur GM, I'm an am- fucking. I'll call myself an amateur GM, that's daunting. I don't want to be like, oh my god, you have the redemption destiny? You have the destruction destiny? What the fuck am I going to do with that in 20 sessions, you know? Like, I don't know what to do. Right. But it does have some good meat in there for a seasoned game master in a long form campaign to help give the players some direction to grow their characters. I I think that's really cool that you can have a somewhat system backed like character arc reward system. Um, And there's also interesting things when players reject and change their destinies too. So, you know, that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Thank you, Trevor. Of course. Uh, Steven, we got another email. (laughs) Okay. From Trevor B. Oh, the previous one, a a double try. Yeah. Trevor. (laughs) Yeah. Hey guys, I'm a huge fan of the show and I want to say that I think you're doing a great job with things. The pod has helped me really think outside of the box and it's been great listening experience while I'm at work. Good, that's the plan. I just finished finished episode 59 and I sure do hope nothing bad happens as I catch up to the present. Like the pod gets canceled or something. Ha, ha, ha. Seriously, keep doing what you're doing. Our fucking plans to cancel on episode 85 are ruined. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, the surprise. What do you mean? I thought this was the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, um, kidding. I'm kidding. Trevor B., that's that's a fantastic feedback. The the Our goal, me and Sam's mission statement, as we recite often, is to get people to think about Swissy in, in new ways and to, to truly expand the already vast horizons that, that this beautiful system offers us. So, the fact that you're enjoying it, the fact that you're listening, the fact that it's helped you run your game, um, 
Whoa, 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 he didn't say that yet. We didn't finish the email, Steve. Oh, wait, really? <laughs> yeah, there's more to the Shit. email. Wait, really? Oh, yeah. fuck, you're right. I didn't scroll down. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor continues, but I've decided I can't wait to catch up to email you guys anymore. I'd like to tell you about my at-home Swissy game and ask a question or two. Oh, great. I have to start by stating that I only have two players at my table, my wife and my very good longtime friend. Those can be the same person, by the way. <laughs> My wife is new to tabletop role-playing, but has started playing at my request. She started with Pathfinder with both of us as players, but had a bad experience. Now I'm the GM, and she seems to be having a good time. My other friend has been gaming for 10-plus years and is an awesome player to have at the table. With a little time on my hands, I've decided to crack open some Dawn Defiance and give it a go. We've had about five sessions now, and everyone seems to be having a blast. Even though there's just the two of them, they've been blowing through these combat encounters. As an experienced gamer, I know it's purely RNG. High initiatives have really helped them survive. My wife is playing a Jedi and my buddy's a noble. So far, it's been great, even though my wife has zero interest in Star Wars. Straight up refuses to watch the movies. Dude, why are these people playing so <laughs> Though it doesn't seem like it's mattered. She knows that the imps are bad and murder hobos them to no end. She's earned two dark side points already, but she'll learn. LOL. To compensate for their small party size, I've allowed them to hire on help in the form of NPC followers. So far, it's worked out great, and they've recruited a scout that is basically Riddick from Pitch Black. <laughs> awesome game. Oh, is- oh wait. Yeah, <laughs> Hold that's, up. That's fucking Sorry, hilarious. That- <laughs> that's fucking awesome with the goggles and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. <laughs> it's just Vin Diesel. Just play Vin Diesel voice lines. It's <laughs> so fucking funny. Like, that's what you go to for a GM NPC. I love it. Awesome game so far. I'm planning on allowing them to learn additional feats and talents through the use of skill challenges. I've heard you say not to give out talents, but I figured it would be a cool way to power up the party without throwing a bunch of NPCs at them. They just escaped Selzon Station and are on their way to Alderaan. My question to you is, do you think it's alright to give extra feats and talents to the PCs if they earn them through some story element or skill challenges? I'm all for playing into their power fantasies because of how small their party is, but I'm interested in your input. Once again, I love what you're doing and I hope you never stop. Taking you five sessions to get off cells on? I thought you'd be through. There's Felucia two of them. <laughs> you did. Yeah, so it should be fast. <laughs> Please take that. Too. No, we um, can keep that in. That's funny. <laughs> okay, as long as it's funny, I don't want to be mean. Trevor B. Awesome. Uh, I'm so glad that you're having a wonderful time playing Dawn Defiance with your wife and and your friend. This genuinely sounds like a really fucking fun time, and I'm, I'm very happy uh, for the three of you. I've always I've always thought Dawn Defines would be perfect for like the really small party size kind of thing that, that some tables end up with. It, it feels more and more common these days as people kind of get like their partner into RPGs and, and it seems like just you're having a blast. And I'd love to ask I'd love to ask Rodney this, but I wonder if this was I wonder if it was play tested with three people. <laughs> <laughs> you think it was play tested? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but to get to your question, Trevor B. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I do think it's okay to give extra feats and talents to to PCs in in your case of, of a small party. Um, in fact, every game system I know, which is not many, but I, I've looked at rules because I've I've considered doing what you're doing. I, I've been in situations where I was like, oh, maybe maybe a small two person campaign is what is what we need here. Pathfinder. Several editions of of D and D, I think Starfinder two, all suggest exactly what you're doing and what you're about to do. A DM NPC to help out to just bring that that up to three players because that's that's you can you can balance an encounter around three players. It's it's hard, but it can be done. And to give out extra feats and talents, and in like Pathfinder's case, they say yeah, yeah, give them an extra class that they level up in parallel to their own to make up. For, I didn't know for that. The lack of that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's it's, super it's, cool. It's, it's, 
it's not, it's, it's not that uncommon. So yeah. And, and tying them into skill challenges to, to make them really feel earned, not just a, Hey, here you go. Uh, that's a great idea. I would just say, be judicious. Maybe, you know, don't increase the ratio of talents to feats too much. Talents can be quite, quite strong. They are like in every other level sort of thing. So, you know, they treat them as such. I ran a full campaign from one to 20 with like accidentally giving my players 30% or so extra feats. And, um, it was fine. I couldn't properly balance an encounter past level 16, but I don't think <laughs> you'll have that problem. Story element. I think it's a, that's a good, that's a good one to lean on because I mean, it's Star Wars fucking, oh no, you're suddenly force sensitive happens like 40% of the time in Star Wars. Yeah, that's like every other fucking story at this point. <laughs> we love it. But yeah, Trevor B., thank you so much for your kind words. Thanks for sharing about your campaign. I, I can't wait to hear about more. I I, I want to know the state of things by the time we get through Felucia, because that's where I think Dawn Defiance really picks up. Felucia is where the wife kills the longtime friend and, <laughs> <laughs> and then lives among the Felucians for the rest of her days. That's, how, that's what happens with Jedi, right? That's when they get the Felucia and they just live there forever. That was a plot of several key characters in Force Unleashed, actually. <laughs> Uh, that, that answer might tie into this next email. We got one more from Al. S. Oh, sweet. One more email. I know. Right. Well, I mean, fucking we're, we're pouring through them for sure. In a good way. Hey, Sam. Hey, Steven. Number two, just listened to your recent at the time episode about house rules. I absolutely love and use a lot of Steven's house rules. Steven C. That's yeah. That's LL. That's low literalist. Having ranges like talk spells to- his name right here, but not mine. <laughs> okay, okay. Having ranges like talked about is an absolutely fantastic addition. Since you already went over this, I won't go into too much detail, but I had the pleasure of forcing my players to actually move in order to get that PBS bonus. I love having players engage with the system itself more, and having rules in place to make them more appealing or impactful, especially for the new Swissy players, is a bonus in my book. It also helps them just learn to be better players, think tactically, and learn teamwork. In comes my favorite house rule, the bonus talent, found below. It's from bonus class talents on the Dog Edition wiki. It's a curated list of talents that are typically not part of builds due to being very circumstantial or underwhelming. I think a good Uh, example of this in action is a player who is a giant nerd and knows what the watch circle is and wants to do that. It's a great idea, but this new Swissy player is going to have a problem. The watch circle initiate talent is pretty situational and can even get them killed at level one with daily force points. So now they either commit to that with not a lot of combat options outside of force powers if they go that route, which can also lead to boredom or frustration due to limited options, or they hold off meaning they have to wait even longer to do whatever they ultimately want to do. It's fun to give players those little things. You get to see more of what the system has to offer. Anyways, that's all I have. Until next time, Al. Al, thanks so much for your email. We really love hearing feedback about the show. I also agree about Stevens. That's low literalists, not me. House rules, um, and uh, particularly having ranges, is, is a favorite of mine. Who would have thought you could improve so much about the game by taking half of something away? Stitch that on a pillow. Laugh, laugh track? Like, come on. Yeah. Like, fuck, Sam. <laughs> Jesus. Was it supposed to be funny? <laughs> it was insightful. I was uh, I was pondering it after you said mm, it. <laughs> very, very Confucian, Sam. Thank you. Yeah, bonus class talents are interesting. Uh, the gambler, our favorite talent, is actually on that list. Uh, of course I, it is. I know that without checking. Uh, but yeah, the, the bonus class talents is a, is a, I think it's probably not talked about enough on the wiki. It's a, it's an interesting house rule, uh, that can actually make some of those talents like gambler, uh, shine and actually have a place at the table, which we always love, uh, house rules that encourage people to take further advantage of the system. 
Absolutely. I like it. It's a good little, like, you know, you're wading in into the pool of talents and it's like, oh, there's these these kind of nice ones that you don't see that often or that aren't quote unquote optimal, but they're still fun to play with. Like Gambler. Like Gambler. I don't know if, is Gambler fun? <laughs> Didn't we talk about how it's better just to have an, an NPC follower go gamble for you? <laughs> I, I think we did. We did have a, a concept that was maybe an NPC follower with Gambler. No, oh, an NPC follower not. that had like Knack. And that was oh, better. Oh, that's right. We, that's right. We we that's right. We determined that Knack was by far a, a much much better talent. But I remember the feedback from that episode way forever ago. You can't give followers talents. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But having Knack is infinitely better than than gambling. I mean, having a follower that can go gamble for an infinite amount of time uh, <laughs> is way better, regardless of having a plus two or not. I just think that's better. <laughs> That's like right. <laughs> adopting kids just to send them to the casino. <laughs> Is that what happened to you? Yeah. Why do you think I like RPGs so much? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's called escapism, Steven. <laughs> Thanks again, Al, for the email. Really appreciate it. And you guys feel free to send more emails our way. Darktimesswse at gmail.com. Uh, Steven, what are we talking about? Well, we know what we're talking about. Battle stations. Two! Two battle stations? Oh, gee, Steven, how come mom lets you have two battle stations? <laughs> because it's the only encounter I know how to make. I, 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 fuck. Someone help me budget. Someone help me balance my campaign. 10,000 credits yeah. battle station. <laughs> zero skill challenges, zero social encounters, zero combat, 600 battle stations. That's no moon. They call them 007, zero prestige <laughs> classes, zero wealth talents, seven gambler talents. <laughs> oh my God. Fucking Christ, man. Um, can you even take, is that too many? How many? Can you take can gambler you multiple times? I thought you can. Yeah, you can. But like, <laughs> that, never mind. Oh, you mean, never is mind. it takeable in 20 levels? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. Think you can take, 20 levels okay? of yeah. scoundrel. I get gambler every time. <laughs> So funny. So fucking Let's talk about dude. battle stations. Battle stations. So I want to go over the bottom line from last episode just to get everyone up to speed. But if you haven't listened to last episode about battle stations, then like, what are you doing? Just go listen to that one first. It's it's we don't often do the chronological thing. So the least you could do is cooperate with us. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> For once in your life, listen to things in order. <laughs> <laughs> what if there were okay so like people people like find the show late and start at the beginning and, and catch up that's that's great that's perfectly fine some people catch up in like days or or like a week which is concerning please that's listen to something else people that um, <laughs> <laughs> um but what what if there's a guy out there listening on shuffle like just just random random like just jumping around the shuffler <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Hey, keep him away from that deck of cards. Oh, look out. No! Stop. <laughs> They've been sufficiently randomized for play. <laughs> Bottom line on battle stations. Battle stations are inherently suspenseful. Battle stations offer a true opportunity for all party members to shine simultaneously. And battle stations are a memorable, epic challenge. We covered the core elements of battle station design and philosophy last time, so let's get into some of the trinkets you can put in there, namely base security, hazards, defenses, and computers. Like many of Swissy's subsystems, battle stations are perhaps best thought of as a framework to organize and prep your work for your table. 
many of the things it offers can be done on the fly instead, and maybe it's, it's better for you that way. But many of the things Battle Stations offer can actually enrich and support that jamming style, like skill DC and hazard attack and damage based on Battle Station CL, just as one example. This episode covers some things you may have never thought to put hard, crunchy numbers behind. Like, Sam, I'm gonna, you're going to get the full, like, rules breakdown on dealing with a security camera here in a few minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> if Roll you ever streak? thought you needed that. Yeah. <laughs> Can we say that? <laughs> you can't say that on podcast television. Podcast television is the funniest shit I've heard all week. But I, I also feel the logic of Battle Stations. I also feel like the I'm a B. <laughs> I also feel like the logic of battle stations gives way to a sound and solid way to prepare a big pivotal encounter for your party. So let's get right into it. First up security systems, security cameras are one of the primary means by monitoring activity aboard a battle station, especially in larger stations that contain many remote areas, a standard security camera, three hit points. Sam. <laughs> Why three? <laughs> no, they had to. They had to put it there. They Why not one? Like, come on. <laughs> like, what's gonna, announce- Stephen? What's gonna deal less than three damage? Like a minoc. Like a minoc attacking a camera isn't gonna. Yeah, like- <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure they deal one d four damage, buddy. Like they deal one d four damage minus one. Bitch, minus check one. it right now. Oh my check god, it. go check it. Go check it. That's, those are some Might hardy. Be well, not are you telling me a minoc couldn't take out a security camera more often than Apparent, not? That, apparently not. That sounds crazy. Hit. What's your What's your issue right now? I just Why think are, one, one hit, three just feels like another. Did I not number. tell you they, you were going to get the complete technical <laughs> breakdown on like like too much? Information I'm seeing the technical cameras? breakdown, but what I'm not seeing is the fucking rationalization behind it. <laughs> You're in Swissy, buddy. You left that <laughs> way behind. Get ready to learn polynomials, buddy. <laughs> you better believe in a nonlinear regression. You're in one. A standard security camera, three hit points, can be mounted on any wall or ceiling and provides the security control room with a view of the area within a six square cone originating from the camera. Okay? You got that? Uh... If a character enters a square that is adjacent to the visual cone of a stationary camera, they can make a moderate acrobatics check to avoid being spotted by the camera. See, that's actually a useful and good part of this. We'll, we'll circle back at the end, though. A character can avoid being spotted by a mobile camera, which pans back and forth across an area to increase visual range by making a hard acrobatics check while moving through squares that are temporarily out of the camera's view. Additionally, many cameras remain dormant and activate only when the sensors inside a room indicate a presence that is worthy of attention. In these cases, disabling the sensors also effectively disables the camera. So, Sam, now that you've got your complete simulate, that that paragraph answers just about any question a player could have about a security camera in any situation. So you're saying we can now effectively run Five Nights at Freddy's in Star Wars Saga Edition? Yes. I don't know if that's worth keeping in. It's not. <laughs> I'm going to keep it. Now I'm going to keep it in with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Comedy, baby. So the part of what I like about this is it gives you some guidance on allowing your players to do some James Bond shit around some security cameras. Moderate acrobatics check. That means it's determined by the station's challenge level. So a moderate CL on like a level eight station. Oh, why did I say that? Now I have to look it up. So like a battle station of challenge level eight has a moderate DC of 28. 
In the case of a mobile camera, which it said, what, a hard acrobatics yes. check? That would be a 32. Wow. So pretty cool. I think you could probably, if I was making Swissy today, like sometimes we, we put that hat on, I would probably just leave it at that, that you can, hey, security cameras, we all know what those are, right? They probably don't take more than one hit to destroy, and they can see you. You can avoid a stationary one with a moderate acrobatics check or a mobile one with a hard one. Hey, go crazy. But we love Swissy. And one of the quirks of Swissy is sometimes they don't give us any information. Sometimes they don't give us enough. And sometimes they gave us a full paragraph on security cameras. So take that. Sensors. Sensors are fun. Sensors are controlled, activated, and deactivated from a security control room and come in many flavors. Sam, there's droid detectors, heat sensors, motion sensors, sonic sensors, and tripwire lasers, each with their own associated difficulties with locating and deactivating them. Sensors trigger one or multiple simple actions like activating lights, enabling cameras, or alerting security personnel. And sensor sensitivity is determined by the battle station CL. Ergo, a CL9 through 12 battle station can, uh, has sensors that can detect the number of life forms, weapons fire, and the presence of droids. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And again, why the fuck would I need this? Like, don't I, don't I already know what my players are, what they're doing, and where they are? <laughs> yes. That's true. But if this sort of thing appeals to you, if you're kind of a crunchier, harder gamer, if you like to prep a lot for the big pivotal encounter in the battle station, then it might help you to jot a little note down for yourself. There's a motion sensor in this hallway. That way, when the players are there and look for it, you know exactly what sort of defenses they're activating and they have a shot at doing something really clever that's going to make them feel cool. Was there any math with the sensors or was it just that paragraph and yeah, there's, there's plenty to do with the sensors. The sensors all have like, for example, I think like detecting, like finding and disabling a, mm, maybe it was a motion sensor is like, is like heroic because they're usually tucked away between like wall panels and stuff. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And as in different sensors are easier to fuck with than others. Like a motion detector is very hard to, to spoof. Because, I mean, it's it's a very simple thing. You got to move in front of it to fucking even open yeah. it. Like. <laughs> and even the thermal sensor has like an insane amount of detail where it's like, oh, yeah, it's easier to activate if there's more than five people in this room. And if there's more, if there's less than five people in this room, roll this die for the chance that it won't detect it. And it, there's so much about sensors that it's not worth covering on the air. But if you're interested in getting ultra nitty gritty about your sensors, you've got options. It sounds like the key takeaway is that your party can find the security control room and turn them off. Yes. That is the big takeaway from sensors is that if you manage to break into the security control room, disable all the sensors, you by proxy disable many of the station's defenses. Pretty cool. And of course there's automated defense systems. I'm not sure why this isn't listed as a hazard, but here we are a auto blaster, which has five hit points and a DR five Sam makes one attack per round at an attack bonus equal to the station's hazards expected attack roll, which we discussed that last time. It's, I think, 10 plus half the CL. It also has an initiative equal to 5 plus the battle station CL. So, for an example, on a CL6 station, autoblasters attack on an initiative count of 11 with an attack bonus of plus 8. Autoblasters are usually clumped together in groups of 2 or 3 and can effectively hold off intruders until security forces arrive. Uh, Sam, you dealt with one of these. Yeah. Maybe two. I think two. Yeah. I like that they have a fixed initiative. That yeah, makes so right? much sense. Right? They would be because they're computer automated. 
Exactly. They aren't. There's nothing about them that would make them go before or after. They don't have initiative. They're thing. fucking exactly. things. They're objects. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those wondering, this is, in fact, the ceiling-mounted uh, auto blasters on the ships that you'll find in the space combat modes of 2005's uh, Battlefront 2, of course. It's the exact same one I called up Rodney and checked. <laughs> you can't say that. People will think you're serious. <laughs> now, the alarms... And responses section is of similar grit and detail as the sensors section, but I've truncated it here for everyone's enjoyment. And I, I think it, it just, I don't know. I think it's neat. This it, is it, the truncated version. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is, this is deeply, deeply abridged. This Holy is like, shit. Yeah. It's like, yes, yes. It's like three paragraphs on, on paper. <laughs> yes, that is correct. This is the, this is the most shortened version I could make that still got all the points that I wanted. This describes different levels of alert for a battle station, which is really cool because it gives you some guidance on dynamically modifying the station CL based on like the party's activity in the area and their uh, knowledge of their presence to the enemy. Also, it has a response times table, which is really, really cool because Sam, say your party does something in a battle station to alert the enemy how many rounds do they have to prepare? Like if they've been caught or maybe if they broke a door lock or crossed in front of a security camera, would you usually give them a round, two rounds? Like, I mean, it's 12 seconds. That's pretty fast. Right. And I think you'll see in a sec that it can actually be quite generous, especially if it's a low level alert and that can work to the party's advantage. But we'll start at the top here. Level 1 alarms are reserved for technical problems, minor malfunctions, sensor anomalies, and other non-critical system failures. When a section of the battle station is on alert or high alert status, level 1 alarms are automatically upgraded to level 2 alarms. And we'll go over alert and high alert in just a sec. Level 2 alarms indicate possible security breaches and potentially harmful or fatal problems. Unauthorized weapons fire, minor reactor leaks, security system alerts, and the possible presence of intruders are cause for a level 2 alarm. The security control room chief usually places the section in which the alarm sounded on alert status. If a section of the battle station is already on alert or high alert status, level 2 alarms that sound in that section are automatically upgraded to level 3 alarms. Level 3 alarms signify major problems and threats to the station. The confirmed presence of intruders, major reactor failures, internal explosions, escaping prisoners, and hull breaches trigger a level 3 alarm. This is also cool because it gives you perfect uh, every, all the tools you need to realistically respond when your players want to set up a diversion, which I like a lot. Additionally, the section in which a level 3 alarm sounded is automatically placed on high alert status, and surrounding sections are automatically placed on alert status. So here we go. Here's the big cheese. For the purposes of determining skill check DCs and running combat encounters, treat a section on alert status as having a CL that is three higher than the battle station CL. Oh. For the purposes of determining a skill check DCs and running combat encounters, treat a section on high alert status as having a CL that is five higher than the battle station CL. So that, that like, augments the average attack roll, average damage yes. output, stuff like that. Yes. Do you, the do you, number of enemies, number of enemies the strength yeah. of those enemies, the strength of the hazards, the strength of the defenses, the precision of those senses, uh, sensors. Uh, it's amazing. 
this can be a factor in your battle station design. Consider building a battle station that is two or three levels below your party's average level. Lull them into a sense of security as they blow past every challenge you put in front of them. And then when they inevitably set the station on high alert as they make their grand escape, now boom, there's Vader. (laughs) Yes, literally. (laughs) There's also a response timetable. So when a party triggers one or more alerts, you have a pretty accurate and realistic answer for your players when they're like, Hey, how much time do we got? We just busted this door open. Like when, when are, when are bogeys coming? Like, you know, and you know, obviously, you want to you want to hint it up a little bit. You want to whoa, 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 Stephen, storyteller. Whoa, whoa, Stephen. When they called, I said everything was fine. I asked how they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> so that must that should bump the, the down a bit. They're like they're chill, right? They think we're going to be fine. <laughs> how are you? So response time on a CL nine through twelve station for a level one alert is one d eight minutes. Level two is forty ten rounds, and level three is one d eight rounds. So even if your party fucks up big time, trips a level three alert, they still have an average of four rounds to figure that shit out and prepare. I love this. Honestly, I've come full circle in the battlefield, a battle station rules. They were a little daunting at first last episode when we talked about them. They are intimidating. They are daunting. I will admit that. Yeah. But now I can, I want to run a, like, this is, it's like a rebellion training simulator where you're going through different levels of the death star. Yes, like that. That sounds cool. pretty cool. And you know, it, it, this isn't like battle stations are daunting. It, it, two players and to to game masters. Like I said last time, it's kind of about hugging the cactus. It's about embracing something that seems inconvenient and difficult to learn at first for a payout that is difficult to imagine. And I think you really have to run one to actually feel it. And battle stations are not asking you to use them every session. Battle stations are you know, fully admit on the label, market themselves as like the campaign climax encounter or like the the every five sessions big challenge. That is what a battle station is. It's not here to change your entire way of game mastering. It's just a way of really making that big kind of memorable encounter big and memorable. Heck yeah. Restricted access is a section that has no less than like eight types of doors and other egresses for you to choose from. You ready for the deep dive on blast doors, Sam, which to me are like the iconic star Wars egress. What was the funniest door? Um, in terms of like pure haha funny, let's take a look. Cause I'm, cause I'm, when you said that you said egresses, I'm like garbage shoot. Is there a garbage shoot? I feel like there might've been, you know, secret rooms is kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, there's also extendable bridges. I think take the the cake for funniest egress, though. <laughs> I've also another very Star Wars sort of sort of means of traversal, an extendable bridge. Yeah, because like, why would it not be extended? <laughs> like, what is secret the- rooms is funny because it got to, it gives you a whole paragraph just to tell you that it should be a hard perception check to find a secret room. Well, there you go. You can skim that part, listener. Steven's got yeah. it there for you. <laughs> So, uh, blast doors, here we go. Blast doors, uh, this is from the book directly. Blast doors are made of incredibly dense metals that diffuse energy that might penetrate a standard door. Blast doors protect, oh, sorry, I'm interrupting myself, Sam. I remember what the funniest part of this was. Magnetically sealed doors are like one tier above blast doors. And the game gives you a fucking chart and a D10 to roll to determine the exact trajectory by which blaster bolts 
reflect off of it. <laughs> That's great. It, it's like blaster bolts <laughs> reflect off of it. Here is a diagram and a D10. Figure out the random fucking ricochet. I love that. Now. Looney Tunes door. Yes. <laughs> it's fucking Looney. It's like, then why are they shooting it? Like. In case they're stupid enough to do it, Steven. Yeah, just just because the beefcake soldier like gets angry and shoots it, like now I got to take out a whole chart just to determine <laughs> that it hits the fucking noble. Sorry, it's one, hit the one noble second, guys. Time. One second, guys. Let me get out my what, what's what source book was this? <laughs> galaxy at War. Let me get out my Galaxy at War source book. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't opened this baby up since I made this battle station. Sorry, I didn't. I forgot about the magnetically sealed blast door. <laughs> anyway. Regular blast doors. Blast doors are... Where was I? Blast doors protect command bridges and other sensitive areas that might be exposed to powerful bursts of energy. Thinner, single-pane blast doors, 350 hit points, DR10, damage threshold 35, strength DC 70, break DC 45, close relatively quickly in the span of only one round. Thicker, double-pane blast doors, 750 hit points, DR10, damage threshold 40, strength DC 70, break DC 45, which usually consist of converging parts, close in two rounds. Opening a blast door by force requires a DC 45 strength check, reduced to 25 if the door is not powered. Like standard doors, a blast door can be opened, closed, jammed, and locked from control panels built into nearby walls or the door frame. Speaking of doors in the condition track, a little side panel here. When a door moves a negative number of steps down the condition track, God damn, who wrote that? Its damage threshold is reduced as normal, and the door also becomes easier to open. Apply condition track penalties to a door's DR, strength, and break DC as well. A door that is pushed to the bottom of the condition track is disabled, in other words, opened. I, it, you know they had to do this because doors are like the biggest enemy in all TTRPGs ever. Yes, yes, the most iconic and strongest enemy available is, is the humble door. There's also detailed guidelines for the various computer systems in battle stations. And I, after reviewing them, I didn't think they were interesting enough to talk about in any specific detail. But you've got a lot there to work with when the players ask, hey, what does this computer system interface with? Like, oh, does it, does it, um, is it their life support system? Is it their fire control system? Is it the main computer? All of these avenues of interaction are detailed. And of course, most of them are functions of the battle station seal. Does it activate the gray goo? Because that's really important. Can we build a battle station encounter in a giant gray goo processor? Oh my god, gray goo po- a gray goo processing gray goo? plant? I think that was that Yoda baby. Gray goo. <laughs> gray goo. Oh man. Uh oh, the Condalorian and his partner Gray Goo. <laughs> Hazards. We love hazards, Stephen. I love hazards. I consider myself a strong hazard advocate. Um, I, I'd like to. I, I <laughs> I'm pro just, hazards. <laughs> I love hazards. Can't get hired anywhere. <laughs> um, I, I, I started this pod to set a worldwide revolution in hazards in Swissy, and it's worked. People all over the globe are subjecting their players to electrified floors. All around the world, floors electrify me. (laughs) Wow, that was stellar. Are you kidding me? God, even even though you're really good at that, that was that was just amazing. Sorry. (laughs) Frequently used in battle stations where the crew wants to guard against intruders on foot. Duh. 
Electrified floors are a nasty surprise. Crossing even the most normal-looking corridor becomes a painful process. I love that sentence. What the fuck? <laughs> Electrified well, were floors they not can- hitting the word count? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Like- <laughs> Electrified floors can be left active to deter any character from traveling down a certain path, or they can be activated when intruders are detected in a particular area. Hey, really recommend trip wire sensor electrified floor combo. It's really funny. <laughs> Any creature standing on an active electrified floor immediately takes energy damage in an amount determined by the station's CL. Additionally, if a creature starts their turn on electrified floor, the floor makes a hazard attack against the creature's fortitude defense and a successful attack knocks the target prone. That's incredible. So good. I don't, it's not clear when this attack is triggered exactly. I assume on the start of their turn based on the wording. So it's really, really, and it happened twice at my table to immediately <laughs> knock the player who's already taken like 14 energy damage and is not feeling it. They start their turn. They're finally ready to get out and nope, sorry, you're prone. It's so funny. Give me that move action. Hey, hand it over. <laughs> you know what? Give me the standard too. Here's your move yeah. action back. <laughs> Get off the damn floor. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking incredible. Um, I also apply damage if that attack against fortitude is is successful. It doesn't say to do that, but I do it. Come on. Why not? Yeah, come on. Do they need more reason not to be on the electrified floor? Yeah, and it's like, okay, it electrocutes you and you're prone, but you don't take damage? What? (laughs) Fuck that, man. Liquid cable traps, uh, probably the most redacted hazard in Swissy. A liquid cable trap is an unusual method of capturing intruders that uses conventional equipment available throughout the galaxy. Commonly installed in door frames and narrow passageways, these traps are triggered by trip by- say that five times fast. These traps are triggered by tripwire lasers, motion detectors, and other sensors. Once triggered, a liquid cable trap immediately activates and makes a hazard attack against any creatures caught by the trap typically a two-by-two two square area, with one of the lines bisecting the square as the source of the liquid cable. On a successful attack, high-pressure dispensers entangle the creatures in liquid cable, which solidifies and wraps the target. Very sci-fi. Each creature caught by the trap becomes flat-footed and immobilized. Get the whole party in, in this fucking... Put this shit in an elevator. That would be so fucking <laughs> funny. Oh, my God. Oh, that, be, oh damn it. Yeah. The door is stuck. <laughs> The following round, each trapped creature can attempt a DC 20 strength check to break free. Allies outside the trap can also attempt this check on a creature's behalf. That's, I'm trying to think we've ever seen a liquid cable trap. This sounds like something you'd see in Rebels. I'm not going to lie. Definitely. I can already, I, I can like already hear it, you know, you know, like, and then, and then Zeb's like, oh, Carabast, I'm in the liquid cable trap. Yeah. <laughs> And then he like he has to pick some out of his ear. Yeah, like, exactly. At the end of the episode, like yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. You get me. Yeah. And then Chopper is like trying to use a lighter to burn it off, and he's like, "No!" He's like, <laughs> he's like "No!" <laughs> Fucking bald spot on that motherfucker. <laughs> Isn't it weird Man. they brought Zeb back for? <laughs> in which one is he in? He's in the Mandalorian. I think he also shows up in he's Ahsoka. In- he doesn't show up in Ahsoka. He shows up in the end of Mando season three, I'm pretty sure. No, 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 no. Are you sure he doesn't show up in Ahsoka in the scene I don't think he's in where they're in like the, the council room and Harrison he Dula, like he's just sitting there. 
He he wouldn't just sit there if Hera was there. <laughs> That's a fair point. I think I I'm trying to remember where I see Zeb because he's he's back more than once. It's not just the one off with Zeb. I really thought they put him in Mando to demo him for Ahsoka, and he just wasn't in Ahsoka. He didn't test well in Mando. <laughs> yeah, he like he like had I think he had a line or two in Mando. It was like, oh cool, they're testing out the Zeb rig. It looks all right for for Ahsoka because he's definitely going to have a scene in Ahsoka, and then he didn't. And I was like. Okay, well, I don't know the point of that, but... He definitely has a scene. Are you... Uh, look, look, look it up all right, right now. All right, all right, look all look right, it up right, right now. All right, all right, all right, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's not in there. <laughs> what ahead, the fuck? Yeah. Why is it even Ahsoka? Yeah. Yeah. Half Good the Rebels cast is in that shit. Chopper's in that shit. What? <laughs> I can't believe... That. And they, they even... It was like everything, like, when in, when he was in Mando, they were like, oh, it's a, it's a teaser for Ahsoka. Like, oh my god. They have more Zeb. Mandalorian then, characters in Ahsoka than they had fucking <laughs> Rebels characters. <laughs> oh, man. What the fuck? I, did I hallucinate Zeb? <laughs> I think you hallucinated Zeb, buddy. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. Oh, man. Proof is in the fucking pudding. I gotta... Steven, I need to rest. I need... I'm in the Zeb... Uh, <laughs> I'm in the Zeb zone right now and I need to take a break. So let's, uh, that was it for battle stations, right? There's also jail cells, but I, I, I don't, I did not think it was enlightening enough it's for the, for the it's show. It's a room you honest. can't get out of and someone makes sure you stay in there. There you go. There, listener. The, <laughs> have fun with that one. There was, there's a Jedi imprisonment devices subsection. Um, oh my God. It literally, it's, it's just, it, it's just up prison but this room gives you a minus 10 penalty to use the force check that's pretty cool yeah they put they put uh darth maul in one of those oh it's that shit yeah it's the shit that obi-wan's in too where he's like like parallax rotating and dooku's oh, like, yeah, his hands are fucking, he's just floating there and like yeah. the, the electric yeah. shit <laughs> i don't think so dooku like Look where tells him about <laughs> dooku t- is telling him the plot of revenge of the sith in that scene, yeah. the whole movie before it happens. And Obi-Wan's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I think that's wrong. Let me down from this thing. It's, it's, it itches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the whole fucking scene. <laughs> fucking, uh, let's send you guys to the break. Can't believe your ass thought Zeb was in Ahsoka. I, I don't know. Well, God forbid shit. I think he's in Ahsoka. I did watch that shit because they included fucking Malik or whatever his name was. The world's worst inquisitor. <laughs> Holy fuck. Fucking hell, man. Remember how bad the Umbarans looked in um in Kenobi? Yeah. That, uh, oh no! The sorry, not Umbarans. The Udapans. Udapans. Yeah, Udapan. We fucking yeah, see them in Revenge of the Sith. Like why? <laughs> yeah, they look sick in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> and then can... fucking here comes Kenobi. <laughs> oh, it's so funny! It's so funny. Fucking billion dollars of episode. But anyway, it's the break. Hi, Steven. <laughs> well, it's the up? break. It's time to thank people for listening to the show. It's the break time. Hey, if you want to support the show, well, guess what? You're already doing the best way to do that, which is listening to the show. Uh, Sam and I looked at the numbers recently. More than 100 of you, on average, tune in every week just to hear us, which is, wow. To think that every week I go up on a virtual stage where 100 of you have assembled, no intermission, no outside snacks or food or drinks. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> you spew garbage out of your mouth, 80% of it's cut, and then 20% of yeah. it makes reaches to their ears. <laughs> if that were true, our recording sessions would be like eight hours long. Which they are. We're at 56 <laughs> minutes right now, buddy, and we're only at the break, so I need you to fucking saddle up. I know, I know. I was looking at the time like, ah, Sam's going to kill me. The other way you can support the show is knowing that we are fully listener funded. That's equipment, hosting costs, maintenance, uh, time out of our own work weeks to do this volunteer run show. The best way to do it is our Patreon. $5 tier, $10 tier gets you a sticker and sticker and shirt respectively. After three months of patronage. There's also some notable bonuses on there as well, including exclusive maps, handout templates from yours truly and Sam's truly. Um, Figure out what that means. Not to mention exclusive episodes detailing the up-and-coming Starfinder 2nd Edition RPG as well. Those are public now. Those are public now, Steven. No, we gave those away because you went to Japan. (laughs) What is exclusive is a audio commentary track for everyone's favorite Star Wars film, Ewok's Caravan of Courage. Uh, sometimes titled as the Ewok Adventure, I'm, I'm, I've learned. E- an Ewok Adventure, Caravan of Courage, an Ewok it's Adventure. It's the Ewok Adventure on IMDb. That movie's is so weird. I still get flashbacks. Me too. I fucking hated that movie, <laughs> but I love watching it with you. Aww. And you can watch it with us, too. If you just figure it, get your Bluetooth speaker and sync it, it syncs up with the movie pretty well. Some other people, Zoy did it. He liked it. So that, that should be enough That's for you to go to get over for there. Us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. He said we um, made the movie watchable, actually, which I think is very does, high praise. Big fucking deal. I, I, I barely considered it watchable. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Another way to support the show is write a review. I love seeing those five stars on Spotify, but I really like seeing those five stars on Apple Podcasts with a nice little blurb about why you like the show. I mean, it's great. It helps other people understand, oh, wow, this is a cool podcast. I can listen to this, you know? And also you can tell people word of mouth is great as well. Tell people about the show and tell your table about the show and tell us you told people or your table and we'll shout any of them out on the show. No one's ever taken us up on that, by the way. Isn't that funny? Some people did like way early on, didn't they? I don't know. Oh, well. (laughs) Find out. (laughs) Go back and listen every single break. <laughs> no, uh, let's send you guys back to the show. We got a, we got a big, big second half, Steven. We do. It's quite big. Those of you who remember our know what's in store. Watch yeah. your backs. <gasps> like a cent, like a constipated centaur. We got a big second half. Assassins build bounty. They sent them in, Steven. And we're here reading them. Ninja dust. Ninja smoke bombs. I don't I don't know. It's fucked up. I don't it's know. Stupid, man. No, fuck that. <laughs> you said ninja dust. What the fuck is that? That sounds like a drug. <laughs> so they throw it down and then they're gone. It's a smoke bomb, my friend. Uh, we got Zloy Krolik's Kath Rayhode, an Amoidian Scoundrel 4, Jedi 3, Gunslinger 1, Crime Lord 3, Assassin 1. Kath is a name that you and I both tried to use for our level one uh, handout and PC, uh, PC characters. Do you remember that? That's right. And it's also <laughs> the first name of an important now deceased NPC in Zero Distance. Heck yeah. So uh, Kath entered an elite apprenticeship in the Trade Federation after completing her primary education. She trained as a lawyer and negotiator. Moving wow. up through the ranks of the Trade Federation, she came into her own as a fixer and trade representative where she gained the notice of the elite special trade section. Oh, shit. 
This is cool. <laughs> Upon joining the STS, she learned to hone her innate abilities to inspire fear into her opponent's in-trade negotiations. Kath made a name for herself in this arena of cutthroat trades and backroom deal-making, becoming a feared troubleshooter and a savvy adjudicator in some of the trickiest of trade packs signed by the Trade Federation. I didn't think I was going to see an Emodian Jedi in my lifetime. You know? Master Yoda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why did you say it? <laughs> I don't like know. It just <laughs> uh, this is a pretty sick build, Steven. And I'm excited. I'm, I love the concept. I'm literally I'm literally on board. We're starting with Adept Negotiator from the Jedi Consular Talent Tree. As a standard action, you can weaken the resolve of one opponent with your words. The target must have an intelligence of three or higher, must be able to see, hear, and understand you. Make a persuasion check. If the result equals or exceeds the target's will defense, it moves minus one step along the condition track. Target gets a plus five bonus to its will defense if it's a higher level than you. If the target reaches the end of the condition track, it does not fall unconscious. Instead, it cannot attack you or your allies for the remainder of the encounter unless you or one of your allies attacks it or one of its allies first. This is a mind-affecting effect. You affect condition track of the specific character, usually the vehicle's commander, not a starship. That was a very important... A distinction here. Otherwise, you're talking <laughs> battleships into submission, which it does not work that way. Not quite. I do like the idea of you defeating a person with facts and logic, though. It, uh, it happens to me every day in real life. So it's, it's only <laughs> it's, <laughs> it only makes sense to see it in Saga Edition. This is followed up with Master Negotiator from the same talent tree. If you successfully use the Adept Negotiator talent, your target moves an additional minus one step along the condition track. It's still a mind-affecting effect, and it only affects the specific character, not a starship. So we're oh. at two steps with a single standard action, if you're paying attention, Stephen. And you haven't even touched him yet. I haven't even touched him. I've just said words that made you believe you're stupid. <laughs> what? No, I I meant the, the enemy. Yeah, the, yeah. This build. That's what I meant. <laughs> okay. Next up, we've got Master Manipulator hey, from the Infamy Talent Tree. This is from the Unknown Regions Sourcebook. Top 12 sourcebooks, by the way. Prereqs are notorious and skill-focused persuasion. When you make a successful persuasion check, you can immediately make a second persuasion check against the same target, even if it's not normally allowed. The second persuasion check need not be for the same use of the persuasion skill as the first. For example, if you successfully change attitude to the target, you can immediately attempt to change attitude a second time, or you can attempt to intimidate the target instead. So, we're at four steps now. With a single standard action, if you succeed God your rolls. Damn. But come on, you've you got skill-focused persuasion. You can re-roll because of Notorious. Like, come on. If that's not impressive enough, you need to see the rest of the build yourself to see the rest. I'm talking a DX2 CT killer that disintegrates her targets. Like, Oh, so she on. talks shit and then kills And you. then gets hit. You do. You get hit. She talks shit, you get hit, and oh, then you're shit. a pile of ash. <laughs> By the way, just saying, if you're curious about how you can counter this build just get enemies that can't understand her yeah don't speak basic like, don't. Yeah, sorry, no, beasts no. <laughs> yeah beasties beasties that's great thank you so much Lloyd, for sending in kath ray hode i love the combination of like soft ct killer like total verbal ct killing mixed with actual lethal weapons very very cool yeah, Kath gets you down to minus four with a dead negotiator. And then it says on there, like, if they go to helpless, then they don't actually die or fall unconscious. But that's what the gun's for. That's <laughs> Hell yeah. Also, technically, you can coup de gras at that point because they're helpless. Yes. Isn't indeed. that wild? 
That's that sounds brutal, dude. You just talk them into not talk, attacking you, and then you just go up and one shot like crit them. It's crazy. Oh, you know, <laughs> I like to call it aggressive negotiation. <laughs> up next, we got American Psychos Div Condor. He's a Kamasi Scoundrel Seven, Crime Lord Two, Assassin Three. Uh, Div Condor was a wise psychologist and social worker who tried his best to provide services to the people of Coruscant. Imperial rule did much to harm the mental health of the capital's residents, after all, and the kindly Kamasi only wants to help but is constantly stymied by the Empire and its anti-alien biases. After years of being harassed and blocked, Div finally snapped. <laughs> Using his... <laughs> what a sentence. <laughs> Using his contacts in both the professional world and underworld to gain knowledge of poisons, once he'd mastered the craft, he began to syst- systematically slaying Imperial officials. Th- wow. Thanks to his keen ability to manipulate his foes' minds, he almost always makes it look like they'd suffered a mental breakdown before ending their suffering through poison. <laughs> nice light. We, we do have some lighthearted builds. <laughs> yeah, real casual podcast. Eventually, his antics drew the notice of the Geno Haradon. Haradon? Gino Haradon. The Gino Haradon, and he was recruited shortly thereafter. For those who don't know, uh, this, that was what uh, American Psycho wrote. Thank you so much for sending in. Kama- uh, Still one of my Div favorite Condor. users out there. For those who don't know, Kamasi are basically tall psychic Furbies. Uh, have you looked at them? I've known some people like that. <laughs> have you looked at Kamasi? They look like tall. I'm looking at them right now. They're tall psychic Furbies. What did I? It's like, a, it's like a lemur. Like a Furby lemur. Look at that thing. Furby lemur. Yeah. Uh, they're also mm. from the Force Unleashed campaign guide. Top 10 campaign guides oh hey that is one of our top 12 campaign guides. yeah top, top 12 source books uh the kamasi have a special ability called pacifism <laughs> okay how's that working out <laughs> as a standard action a kamasi can make a persuasion check against the well defense of a single target within line of sight if the check is successful the target moves minus one step along the condition track if it makes any attacks before the start of the kamasi's next turn the target must be able to to hear and understand the Kamasi for this ability to have any effect, and any single target can be affected only once at any given time, meaning that multiple Kamasi cannot use this ability on the same target at the same time. It's a mind-affecting effect. Uh, so he basically makes like guilts you into going down the condition track, which I think is great. Very cool. Up next, we have Manipulating Strike from the Gino Haradin talent tree. Did I say that right that time? You did. Nice. Once per turn, when you successfully damage a target with a non-area attack, make an intimidation persuasion check against the target's will defense. If successful, you can determine what the target does with its swift action on its next turn. This is a mind-affecting effect as well. Div also has the improved manipulating strike, which upgrades that to a move action. Wow. So yeah, you could, you know. Bat, bat. Exactly, exactly. Div is also an incredibly skilled poisoner, having three talents from the Malkite Poisoner talent tree. So Div's another type of CT killer, using poison and pacifism to his best ability. Manipulating strike allows him to force targets out of cover, and there's even more condition track manipulation in the rest of the build. Funnily enough, Steven, both of these require a, an interesting ruling on Master Manipulator. Oh yeah? Because, like, I'll say it again, just, just so that we have it right here fresh. When you make a successful persuasion check, you can immediately make a second persuasion check against the same target, even if it's not normally allowed. The second persuasion check need not be for the same use of the persuasion skills as the first. For example, if you successfully change attitude of the target, you can immediately attempt to change attitude a second time, or you can attempt to intimidate the target instead. The example provided implies it applies to applications of the persuasion skill rather than talents or feats that require you to make a skill check, because mm. otherwise they require more standard actions, etc., stuff like that. But I'd let it drive off in the GM Fiat. 
What do you think, Steven? You know? Let me see. Here. That's like a game-breaking read rule reading, I feel like. That gets pretty brutal. Four steps down Brown. the condition track in one standard action. Yeah, I'd say let it ride. Let it I ride? Mean, we, we, we get paranoid about CT killers, right? It's kind of the red panic of the Swiss community, <laughs> I'd say, is, is CT killers. You hear a lot about people building them. You hear a lot about people being worried about them in their games. You don't actually hear a lot about them appearing in campaigns, probably because they're corny and most players know better. And wait, 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 wait. Do you mean the thing that does one thing super well is only effective at that level and not effective in the 12 levels it takes to get there? <laughs> well, well, well. I could go on about white rooms and, you know, opt- build optimizing. And Back stuff in like my that, day, but- the real CT killers were super battle droids, buddy. And they. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Come on, that's pretty good. It was really good. <laughs> Yeah, and as we've discussed plenty of times here, I'm not going to talk your ear off it this time, listener. It's easy to clip the wings of a CT killer. And honestly, they're pretty funny, and they're really unique to Swissy. So I, I don't have a problem with any ruling that happens to make them stronger. CT killers are not as big of a problem as many people would have you believe. They, they're they all over forums. They don't appear to be all over games. That's a fair point, Steven. And the best way to deal with them, probably in a one-shot that you're running with strangers, be like, hey... Please don't use that build. Um, and that's that. Um, um, <laughs> wrong. The best way to deal with them is to just fucking throw more mooks at them. <laughs> they only CT. They can't CT kill all of us. We can take them out. <laughs> it's true. A high number of individual enemies is kind of the, the the answer to a CT killer. You give them, give them eight enemies at level, and they they, they can't win. Thank God your encounter wasn't built around one big bad, right? That wasn't the, you've done the encounter design checklist, right? You're not just doing one enemy for your encounter. As Sam also makes, Sam makes a great joke and a great point. If your encounter is well-designed, there is no one build that will undo it all. Yeah. And if there is, send it in. Yeah, let's let's see see it, please. (laughs) I'm trying to find it. (laughs) Yeah. All righty. Also, Stephen, we can't forget Zarkress, Ben's shock whip wielding privateer assassin. Uh, I'm including a little blurb from a little blurb from Ben here. But we discussed the build last episode, so feel free to go listen back if you need to. Especially since you need to to listen to more cool stuff about battle stations. Oh yeah. Ben said, "My poisoner is a former separatist privateer. I built him one of the trip with charisma with a shock whip. You can make a second attack to grapple with the same modifier at the attack that hits." He also caused our GM to ask how many free actions you can take in a turn. You can make a whip attack, free grapple, free offhand pistol from Master Privateer, persuasion from manipulating strike slash rant, plus his move and swift actions. As a feline, his pheromones count as poison. They can't be used against hostile targets. They have these be used before combat. And his S5 heavy blaster has a poison, or you can apply poison on his vibroblade as a standard. Thank you. Three killer builds, quite literally, CT and otherwise. You remember, listener, you're voting, patrons even. The voting ends Sunday, December 10th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Get on it, patrons. You can join. Oh, whoa, yeah. whoa, Steven. Wait, wait, huh? wait. If I'm listening to this episode now, can I still get on the Patreon and vote for my favorite assassin? You can join the, the Patreon just for voting if, if, that's, if that's what you want to do. If you want to throw down five bucks, vote, and then cancel, that's great. Go ahead and do it. Um, there's no rules. No rules, baby. Mad Max yeah. on the Patreon. <laughs> I don't know. 
That poll will, of course, go up with the episode, and we can't wait to come back with the patrons' favorite. Yeah, and all the full builds will be in the description of this episode as well, and a nice little Google Drive link for you. Only three entries this time. I know, right? I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited, including the well-written and emails and breakdowns from each of the submitters as well. Yes, indeed. Steven, do you have any trivia for us this week? I do, and it's about your favorite Star Wars movie, Sam. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. You have to watch Caravan of Courage or Rise of Skywalker right now. Which one do you watch? Don't think about it. Just say it. Caravan of Courage. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the fake Chewbacca death. It's so, really, it feels so I was unnecessary. So, I was so into it when I thought it was a real Chewbacca death. Cause I was like, holy fuck, finally something happens in these movies. You know, <laughs> finally, finally something bold and interesting. Like Ray accidentally killing Chewbacca is interesting. I don't know if it's good, but it's definitely better than the fake Chewbacca death. <laughs> Chewbacca survives somehow. Somehow Chewbacca, Chewbacca returned. has returned. Well, anyway, tonight's trivia is from uh, Ewoks, The Caravan of Courage, also credited as the Ewok Adventure. The film was shot entirely in Marin County, California, home of Skywalker Ranch. Much of the action was shot in a public parkland called Roy's Redwoods, which contains 300-year-old sequoias, the oldest in the area. Remember how aggressively, like, California, I was I was saying that movie was, Sam? Yeah. How it looked like California the whole way through turns out it was just shot in California. I would, I mean, Andorra was shot in California, so it does. Mira, Mira Woods and off uh, San Francisco, indeed. Yeah, isn't that uh, nice? Mira Woods, I believe, is in um, up by Humboldt. So. Is it? I, I so. thought you crossed the Golden Gate Bridge. There's Mira Woods. Let's 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 let's. Oh no, you're right. That's Marin County. Hell yeah. yeah. I th- I swear segments of Endor were filmed in in Big Sur as well. It might be, maybe. Fucking no ocean on Endor, idiot! <laughs> they just turned the camera the other way. What are you That's talking about? That's stupid. I can hear the ocean still. <laughs> oh man, um, the Dark Times a Song Edition podcast is presented by me, Sam Stevens, my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. View us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your show. Tell a friend about the show and tell us you told a friend about the show and tell your table about the show and tell us you told your table about the show and we'll shout you guys all out on the show. Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Stay here with these walking hairbrushes. Come on, Sindel, they're animals. Chip, chip, <laughs> and they have pet ferrets for some reason. I love real ferrets <laughs> real and snakes ferrets. and stuff. Yeah, uh, that was of course uh, everyone's favorite Star Wars character, Mace. Mace, not the Jedi of of immense fame, the uh, sniveling little brat that plays the lead in oh, Ewoks: man. The Caravan of Courage. Oh God, Just- we got to do that sequel. Honestly, we do. I hear it's even better, and by that I mean worse, and therefore more (laughs) enjoyable than the first one. Oh, man. And it's got Night Sister in it. A retroactively, a retconned (laughs) Night Sister. I forgot about that. Yeah. Give me your best Ewok impression right now. I don't 
know if that's going to pick up after I do the editing to this podcast. That's really funny. <laughs> what is like a dog? You trying to make that thing look vicious? <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.